Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Why are you guys still with us? Wednesday. Man. They're with us because it's Wednesday. Oh, is that why? Yeah, because it's another day. Oh. And... I'm just impressed that they stick around. That's that's what... I see the numbers, I see the downloads, and I think, you know what? You guys are cool people. I like you. Yeah. Sticking with us. Yeah, it's Wednesday. Hey, it's almost October. September's almost done. Yeah. Wednesday, September 27th is what it, what it is today, right? Yes. That's the day this recording comes out. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty exciting. We're entering in the fourth quarter of the year, which is fall, pumpkin spice latte season, Thanksgiving, Christmas. This is like the best time of year. It really is. I would agree. I was going to ask, what is your favorite month? Favorite month? Favorite uh, month. I don't know. That's hard. I, 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 I guess, I, I guess maybe no, November. Okay. Kind of because you're, you're in the middle of it all. Like yeah. You're in the middle of everything. Thanksgiving's just around the corner. Christmas is still on the horizon, but it's close enough where you can start thinking about Christmas decor and cool presents and parties. No, no, I, I do like that. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, now that I'm going solar, my favorite month might now be August. Or you are going solar. Yeah. 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 Well, you personally, hoping, I've seen the, the backpack that you wear that yep. just always charges you up. It's, on it's connected right to my heart to yeah. keep this thing going. It's a Tony day Stark or night. thing. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, that would be nice if I could modify myself to do that. I'd be all for that. I don't doubt that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't. And that's what troubles me a little bit. Well, when Apple comes out with their implant, <laughs> call me. I'll be standing in line. <laughs> How about Elon's Neuralink? Are you going to do that thing? Dude, I would be all over that. If he offered, no. if he offered the opportunity for me to beta test, I would be on that. No. I would. I would you totally won't beta test an iOS, but you would beta test a computer chip in your brain? If it gives me the bleeding edge. I'm, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Bleeding edge, G- given that, because I just I just finished the uh, the Elon Musk um, bio biography by, by I- Isaac yeah. Watson, what, Walters. Ma- Matheson? No. Anyway, Isaac. That's yeah, his first name. that guy. I, I just call him Isaac. That's how I know him. Anyway, I, given the way that he works, I, I would see that, because if it's a physical device, I would see that it'd be, in, it'd be improvable. He would be able to do stuff with it. In fact, one of his engineers is on some podcast not too long ago, and he was talking about, because he had it in his, his head, and I was like, dude, can I, can I get in on that? Cause he was talking about, yeah, it's a work in progress. He tinkers with it, but it's still modifiable. What does he do with it? I forget. I'll have to figure out. Maybe it was a Ferris podcast. I forget whose it was. Because he just walk in the room and think lights you know on. What? I think it was Joe Rogan's now that I think about it. Not that I recommend that you listen to his podcast. He could be a bit crass out there. Yeah. Crass is a good word. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm not signing up for anything like the Neuralink anytime soon. But yeah. if you do, but think about this. I'll watch. If you could get Logos in your brain, dude, game over. Not, you think your sermons are long now? Not worth it. You get Logos in your brain? No. All the Bible software? No. Nope. Dude. Nope. 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 I don't want a computer chip in my brain. Don't, man. I'm, I'm willing to bet that 98% of our listeners are on my side on this one. You know what? And I'm okay with that. I'm okay being a minority. That's what'll give me the bleeding edge. You are part of the one percent, aren't you? I am a minority. Yeah. Is that what you're getting at? No. Can I highlight my minority not, status. That's not it. Hey, Isaiah, Isaiah 10, 11, and twelve. Uh, he was not fathoming computer chips of any sort at the time that he was writing, and then we'll be in Galatians as well. And, and also, Paul was not fathering com- fathoming computer chips either, or fathering, 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 fathering them either. 
fathoming. He wasn't doing any of those things. <laughs> hey, uh, chapter 10, we get into uh, what's a little bit of an awkward break because he's continuing this focus from the previous chapter on the um, concept of, of God's judgment being brought against uh, his own people here and, and his woe here, as we talked about, woe being that pronouncement of cursing or judgment, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. This is, these are the unjust rulers and, and those that oppress that he's addressing here. And he repeats the theme again, for all his anger has not turned away, his hand is stretched out still, that uh, verse four. Um, we see that at the end of chapter nine. We see that at in verse 12 of chapter nine. We see that in verse seven of chapter nine. It's this idea that, that the judgment of God persists and continues ongoing. Um, he focus turns his attention then to Assyria. And there's an interesting uh, start here because it's another woe, although some commentators think that it could be ho instead of woe. Or uh, ah. Or ah. Yeah. Ah. I, you know, it's funny that you talk about this because I was I was looking at that yeah. very word thinking, yeah. oh, that's interesting because yeah. it shows up a lot more frequently than we have it translated as well. Right. And why does that matter? Well, if this is not woe, but more of a ho or an ah, or this could be that, that this is the idea of God summoning Assyria to do his bidding rather than a, a pronounce, pronouncing of, of judgment upon them. Though the judgment does come, it could be at this outset here that he's decreeing that he's going to bring Assyria to judge the, the people. Yeah, the flexibility of human language is so interesting because it's it's in situations like this where you say, okay, how do you understand what a word means? Well, right. obviously, you understand it in its context. Now, granted, that doesn't eliminate all of the confusion, but more often than not, it does give a pretty clear indication. Oh, I see where the, the author is going with this word. Right. Uh, one theme that's going to emerge time and time again, even in just the, the chapters we're covering today and also tomorrow and then throughout the prophets is this idea that God uses uh, godless nations in the execution of his will and of his plan and of his judgment. And we see that here uh, in verses five and six, where he God refers to Assyria as the, the rod of his anger and the staff in their hands is his fury. Um, and so this is just that idea that, that God is using a godless nation in judgment. And that's a theme that shows up in the Old Testament. And rather than make us uncomfortable, that should be somewhat of a comforting thought to us that God is sovereign even over these nations. It's not as though they're operating in complete independence from God. That would be a terrifying thought. That would be problematic yeah. to say the least. Yeah. But I see in verse seven here, I, I mean, Okay, so talking about Assyria, he says, uh, but Assyria does not so intend. They're not intending to fulfill God's will. His heart does not so think it so. He's not in his mind saying, I want to obey the will of Yahweh. I want to be his instrument of judgment. And yet, um, it's God's primary agency that's affecting this secondary agent. So what you have here is the concept of dual agency. God is the primary mover and shaker of all things. His hand is behind all things. That's what it means that he's sovereign. And yet man fully in operation within God's primary agency, he operates as a legitimate secondary agent. Right, right. Because the Assyrian king and his armies are not puppets on strings. They're, they're not. They're making real decisions. Right. They're, they're not cognizant of the fact that God is orchestrating these events this way and so they're guilty of their actions and their decisions right it, it's the same the concept is also seen in uh, genesis 49 uh, what you meant for evil god meant for good right there's two agents operating with two different wills and yet god's will is the one who's being fulfilled always right well assyria does carry out the, the will of god here in this prophecy and then they begin to boast as though they had done it themselves and it was not god that was behind it and there's verse 15 and 16 where uh, the lord asked shall the axe boast over him who hews with it or the saw magnify itself against him who wields it as if a rod should wield him who lifts it don't 
you shouldn't. I will not wield the the one who lifts me. Okay. Or, (laughs) Or as if a staff should lift him who is not wood. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts will send a wasting sickness among his stout warriors. And so here, here we see, uh, again, similar to the theme in Habakkuk, when Habakkuk is, Habakkuk is incensed that God would use a foreign nation to bring judgment upon Israel. And God says they will be judged as well. Here we see that also with Assyria. They're both the instrument of his judgment and yet also for their actions, they themselves will be judged. That's right. Verses 20 and following, there's a remnant. And again, we've, we've talked about that before, that there's God is not going to make a full end of his people. He is going to preserve for himself a remnant that will continue the, the nation of Israel, the people for his own possession. So though there's judgment coming, though there is uh, oppression that is going to come from the outside, though there will ultimately eventually be exile, there still is this, this remnant that is going to be there, though it is a bittersweet situation. Look at verse 22. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will return. Mm. And so that we're supposed to go to, to the Abrahamic covenant there and the language of the fact that God had promised Abraham to have descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven and the sand and the sea. And it's, it's a reminder that they had, uh, they had disobeyed the Lord and they were in danger of the extinguishing of that promise were it not for the faithfulness of God. That's right. Which is another thing that is, is important for us to note. We would point to the Abrahamic covenant as a covenant that is what we would call unconditional. So there are conditional covenants, we believe. The Mosaic covenant would be a conditional covenant, right? Mm -hmm. We see in Deuteronomy 28, the blessings for obedience, the cursing for disobedience. The Abrahamic covenant is unconditional in that it is not dependent upon our actions or the actions of Israel, rather, but on the promise of God. And so here we see him preserving a remnant because this is not a conditional covenant. He's still going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, no matter what, even though Israel doesn't deserve it at this point, because it's not contingent upon their merit, but his grace. So you just mentioned two covenants. You said the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. Are these two one and the same? Are they, is one the extension of the other? Uh, extension in the sense of furthering God's plan for redemptive history, I would say yeah, possibly, potentially, but not the same covenant. The Davidic covenant comes from Second Second Samuel uh, seven, and that's the promise that there would be a Davidic king that would reign, and his kingdom would have no end. Right. So there's an interlude to that. He doesn't promise that there will always be a king on the throne of David, and that's important because right now Israel has no king mm-hmm. that's a Davidic descendant. But he promises there will eventually be a Davidic king who reigns without end. And, and that, that is an unconditional promise. And that's Christ. Right. Yeah. So interesting to note there that there are covenants. I mean, it, there is a covenant rather that we would see as being binding even right now, present tense, which is why in part we're dispensationalists. Right. We see that God still has work to do in terms of the promises that he made to Israel and what have still yet to be fulfilled. Right. Right. Which, okay, so I, to, to elaborate on this, um, when it comes to eschatology, there are people that would uh, look at this and say, well, um, I guess <laughs> I should think about things before I start saying things. Um, it's out there now. It's too late. Okay, so when it comes to the approaches to this, uh, we have friends within the realm of Christendom who would say, no, uh, this this has been fulfilled. This has been fulfilled. So help us understand then how other people would see this because there's a lot of people who are not dispensationalists. In fact, we right. find that all, all the time when we try to hire people. Right. <laughs> there's not a lot of us out there. So how do people understand these kinds of promises? Right. Right. The, the covenant side of things, which is what we would refer to as the, those on the, the opposite end of the spectrum, um, and it is a spectrum. There, There's a broad range within it uh, of dispensationalists and covenant theologians. They would say that the uh, these 
covenants, these promises made to Old Testament Israel have been fulfilled in Christ and the church. Um, and so they, they are, uh, the church is not a replacement of Israel, but rather the fruit of God's promises to Israel that through working through Israel, ultimately that the church has been produced out of this, but the promises of the Davidic king kingdom, for example, the, the king who would reign without end Christ, that has been spiritually fulfilled at the first, uh, advent of Christ and his resurrection, that he is now spiritually reigning, so to speak. And we talk about the millennial kingdom, which is, we believe, a literal thousand year reign of Christ on earth. They would say they are amillennialists, which is ah negates the millennial. So it's a, a metaphorical so not reign. not no millennium. Not no millennium, but, a, but not a literal thousand years, rather a metaphorical reigning of Christ on earth, that it's not, he's reigning presently in heaven, in the hearts of believers here on earth. And that's how the Davidic covenant promise is being fulfilled in Christ right now. We would say, no, it's going to be future fulfilled when Christ is here reigning literally on earth for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom. So when terms like futurists or preterists or historicists, I guess, I don't know if that's the, that's the right term, but futurists and preterists um, talk about how those concepts relate to what you just talked about. Historicists, Preterist, futurist, those are all dealing with when the events are going to take place, whether or not the events of the millennial kingdom uh, in the eschatological events have already occurred. For example, some might look at the conversations about the Antichrist and point back to Antiochus Epiphanes and say, well, that took place when he slaughtered the pig on the Jewish altar. Mm -hmm. That was the abomination of desolation. Uh, Some might point to Nero as the Antichrist and say, well, Nero was the Antichrist. And so we're no longer looking for the Antichrist. And so we don't need to look forward to these things. The future's would say these things are yet in the future. They haven't yet occurred. There's other ways to look at them that would say, no, these are, are things that have happened already in the past and we no longer need to look expect, expectantly for their future fulfillment. So for clarity's sake, we we would believe that these things are still yet future. Yep. We are futurists and we're dispensationalists. We believe that God's promises are binding to, to Israel through the Abrahamic covenant. And these are still going to be fulfilled by Christ primarily in the millennial kingdom. Some of the stuff that we're going to read in the book of Isaiah are pointing forward to that specific time frame, as, yep. as we believe. Um, and, and that's a, that's a big deal. Uh, when you go to a church, I mean, these are important things that sit in the background. You're not going to preach on these on a Sunday morning typically, but they're really important to how we understand passages like this. Right. In fact, chapter 11 uh, is, is a great uh, case in point uh, for this. Uh, chapter 11 talks about this shoot that's going to come from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse was the father of David. Dawid. Right? So this is a shoot that's coming forth from the stump of Jesse, from the, the son of Jesse, from David. Okay, This is a Davidic offshoot, a Davidic offspring. This is a reference to, to Jesus. This uh, harkens back to, we talked about the branch already. Uh, Zechariah 3, 8 through 10 is going to talk about the branch and, and call the, the coming Messiah, the one that is the, the branch here. And so we get that picked up again. And this is the Messiah who is going to come and do the work of the Lord. Notice uh, chapter 11, verse 2, the spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon him. And then you have the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes sees. He goes on and on and on. This is a reference to the Messiah and the Messiah being empowered by, anointed by the spirit. Well, we saw that at the first advent of Christ, but then here we go. But then we get into verses six and following that begin to talk about a scene that we have not yet witnessed. Right. And so it's hard for us to spiritualize the, the millennial kingdom. Explain this away, right. covenantalists. Exactly. And, and and some of the smarter ones could come in here and do a good and job. Probably try. But they don't have a microphone, so nope. they don't get to. And I would dare say our audience is far too smart. <laughs> to fall prey for that. Yeah. But I mean, look, at, how about when's the last time you let your baby play over the den of a, a cobra? 
Phoebe was just hanging out with the Cobra's den was not she? too long We're going to talk about that. Okay. Yeah. No, this is a scene of, of total peace. Um, and this is a scene that's looking forward to the millennial kingdom and the effects of Christ's reign on earth. The, the branch, the, the shoot of the stump of, of Jesse. And I guess to, to your point, though, I guess if I, if I were looking at this as a covenantalist, I might be able to say, well, it's it's idealized creation. It's not a literal thing to expect. But we would look at this and say, this seems pretty literal. It seems very literal. It seems like this is Isaiah's intending to communicate. This is a day and an age that is yet to come when right. the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That, I mean, that's obviously poetic, but it's poetically describing a literal time to, to come. Right. And even in the rest of chapter 11, he's talking about the regathering of Israel from the nations. He's talking about bringing his people back to Jerusalem from the nations. That's amazing. And that, that's a promise not for the church. That's a promise for his people, the remnant that he's already been talking about in the book. And if the remnant was Israel earlier in the book, why are we going to change the definition of remnant later to all of a sudden apply to the church now? Right. Now, well, so sometimes people wonder what happened to the 10 tribes? Are they lost? The 10 northern tribes when they are decimated, by the way, pop quiz listener. When was Israel ransacked by the Assyrians? Three, two, one. Did you get it? 722 BC. Good job. So if uh, if that those 10 tribes were decimated, where did they go? Well, and, and that's, we see examples of this in the South when you look at situations like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they are carried captive and taken away from their homeland and taken to uh, Babylon, you've, you've got these nations, some of them would have been taken captive by the Assyrians and by other nations. Some of them would have drif- drifted away and gone in, and lived in other areas. Some stayed geographically in right. that area right. and just continue to live there. In fact, that's where we get the Samaritans because wow. eventually the Samaritans, the people of Samaria, part of the Northern Kingdom, the capital of the Northern Kingdom, they remained. And when the Gentile nations came in, they intermarried with those Gentile nations mm. and they produced their offspring that became the Samaritans. Right. And that led to the conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans in the New Testament because the Jews looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds Traders. because they had had come from the offspring of, of relationships between Jews and foreign nations right so yeah that that's what what happened to them at that time but there's this call for the remnant to come back verse 16 there will be a highway from assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for israel when they came up from the land of egypt so he's gathering them back in chapter 12 then in that day they are going to worship the lord and that's going to be what's going to be so awesome i think is just the worship of god's people israel recognizing jesus and worshiping him i mean that's that's one of the cool things not to jump way ahead but zechariah that idea of they're going to look on him and of whom they had pierced and they're going to mourn mm-hmm. and their hearts are going to break and then they're going to realize that there's this fountain that's been provided for them in Zechariah 14 for the forgiveness of their sins. And they're going to be worshiping Jesus as the Messiah. Those that were so opposed to him, they're going to come back and they're going to be worshiping him at that moment. That's going to be so cool. Revival. Yeah. You should pray for revival. Yeah. Pray for our church to have revival, man. Yeah. Absolutely. So God's dealing with Assyria. He's de- Assyria. Assyria. And He's Assyria. With Assyria. I like He's, the Lucky Charm cereals. Uh, yeah. Cinnamon Toast Crunch too. CTC. Mm, that's a favorite in my yes, house. That's a good one. Yeah, so that that's what we're dealing with there is Assyria, but Assyria is not going to put an end. There's going to be this remnant, and he still has a future there to deal with them. That's right. Well, let's jump to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Cinco. I'm there. All right. Clickety-clack. 
remember Galatians, Paul's writing to a group of people that have been tempted, remember, as he said, to be perfected by the flesh after they were begun by the spirit. And so they're, they're wanting to go back and, and justify themselves by works of the law. Who has bewitched you? Why are you doing this? Why would you go to the law? The law can't justify you. Chapter five, he gets back to the subject. He says, look, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke here is the law. It's like, why would you go back to the law? Why would you go back to something that you've been freed from? And then he, in pretty strong language, says, if you want to abide by the law, and he says, look, this is where he's dealing with circumcision. It's not that if you're circumcised, you're cut off from Christ. But if you're going to go back and trust the law, which circumcision was a representative and outward representation of that trust, he says, then you're, you're severed from Christ. You have no part in Christ if you want to be justified by the law, uh, which is strong. And I, I can't imagine that the shiver that would have sent down the spines of those reading this and listening to this um, who had been tempted to, to go back to the law. Yeah, that's a terrifying prospect. If you want to be justified by your obedience, why don't you just go the whole way? Right. Just go the whole way. Do the whole enchilada. Yeah. But if you're failing one respect of that, and you're it doesn't, done. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't count. You're done. Oof. You're done. Verse 13, he says, instead, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We've talked about this in Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about this previously in Romans as well, that we have a freedom, but we need to use that freedom wisely and not to cause others to stumble and certainly not as an opportunity for us to, to indulge the flesh, but uh, is a way to, to serve and love other people. Yeah, verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. With the implication, of course, being the first part of that two-part formula, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The natural output is love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul earlier says in verse six, uh, the only thing that counts in terms of our new salvation and faith in Christ is faith working through love. Love. I mean, this is it, guys. If you want to simplify all that God has to say to us, let it be this. It is love, love for God and love for people. Now, granted, you have to define that appropriately, Yeah. but it is that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, from here he goes on and says, okay, so then what should our lives look like? And I think this is important on the heels of this conversation because here he gets into, okay, this is not licensed to go and just live however you want to live and right. say, well, I'm, I'm good. Because he says, look, if, if you are led by the spirit, which as believers we should be, if we're walking by the you spirit, are, right? yeah. then we're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. Boom. And there's these two lists. In fact, if you're joining our men's Bible study or women's Bible study, you're going to get real familiar with these. We lists. should do a Bible study about these. We things. should. Let's do it. Okay. Done. We'll Done. plan on it retroactively. We'll <laughs> go ahead and announce it. Um, uh, but uh, what I'll often refer to these as is you've got the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And, and the, the, the key here for us is with any list that we see in scripture as believers, we should hold our lives up to this inventory because that's what it's there for right. to say, what do I see more of in my life? And for a Christian, certainly we want to see more of the fruit of the spirit in our lives than the fruit of the flesh. And when we find that we have any of the fruit of the flesh in our lives, then we need to go to work to prune that and to get that, get rid of that in our lives and to confess and make sure we're repenting of that and seeking the forgiveness that we need to. And then pursuing the opposite, which is the fruit of the spirit that, that corresponds in the, the second list there. So interesting that you phrase it that way, because I, I used to think of it that way and I still do the fruit of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. And yet Paul doesn't make that exactly one-to-one. He right. calls it the works, works of the flesh. Do you think there's any exegetical significance in, in the reason he chose works versus fruit? I, I don't know. I've often gone to when uh, Jesus said, no bad tree bears good fruit. Mm-hmm. You know, a bad tree bears bad fruit. Right. That idea. And, and maybe it's simply because the fruit from a believer is going to be good because we are 
in Christ good trees in yeah. that sense. So we're no longer capable of bearing bad fruit in that sense. That's but an interesting thought, yeah. It's we are capable of bad works that are inconsistent with the true nature of who we are in Christ. And, and maybe that's why. I think that's a really helpful and insightful approach. He says there in verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Let's pace ourselves with the spirit, which I think is a, a really cool picture. Can I too. run faster than the spirit runs? No. The spirit can run at your speed and pace for you Oh, so that you're always challenged to run further and faster. All right. I'm, I'm down for that. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, hey, we're grateful that you tuned in again like Pastor Rod was saying at the beginning, that you're still here. (laughs) Yeah, the spirit led you here. Yeah. With us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. And Lord willing, we'll catch you again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you tomorrow. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm-hmm.